Hey everyone, welcome to episode 21 of Bible and Breakfast. I'm really excited to have Mike Lightfoot uh, with us today. Mike is a Hall of Fame coach, uh, coached at Bethel College, which, you know, I, I made this graphic and it says Bethel University. It was really weird typing Bethel University on the bottom as the school changed their name, but it was at Bethel College for 30 years, Hall of Famer, won seven uh, national championships, and he's been a great mentor and friend ever since I got to, to meet him a few years back. But uh, Coach, thank you so much for being with me today. Well, it's a great honor to be here. It's just great to talk to you. It's great to see your face and uh, uh, reconnect again. No doubt. So um, I know you've, you've obviously been a, a great mentor and an example of, you know, coaching uh, as a Christian coach and just kind of wanted you to share maybe a little bit about uh, maybe a verse or something you've been reading, something that's challenged you or been encouraging you uh, recently? Wow, that's a lot uh, because I've been really encouraged. I think during the COVID time, um, I kind of made a pledge to myself that uh, when this finally opened back up and we were not being in quarantine, that I would, I would be different in my approach in my Christian walk. Uh, you know, as we deal with 26% of Americans that no longer have a faith or say that they don't need God, I just felt like, you know, it's, it's my responsibility to uh, carry on the great commission that Jesus said, you know, go into all the nations and preach the gospel. And I think that that's something that has been uh, on my heart ever since uh, things have opened up a little bit, that uh, as a Christian, I do have a responsibility to um, let my light shine before men and they might see my, you know, my deeds and give the glory to the Lord. I think, you know, Matthew five sixteen. I think one of the things that uh, has hurt our country and uh, have put us in the situation that we'd all agree right now is not real good is probably uh, the Christians who have not stood up and, and been followers of Christ and been active in their faith. And I think that that's a time now where we need to really be proactive. And so for me, um, I've been so blessed, so, so blessed to be a part of um, Zoom calls with coaches. Uh, I think I'm part of four or five Zoom calls with coaches who are all trying to grow stronger in their faith and and share their faith with one another and then with their teams and then with their communities. So this has been one of the most exciting times for me in my career to uh, see men of faith that are growing, wanting to be vulnerable, wanting to, to understand that they have responsibility to their players and to the, maybe even their head coach and other people in their influence to really stand up and be a man of God, like like we're called to be. Yeah, and you work for you know an organization called Nations of Coaches, and yes. I know you guys work so closely with a lot of college basketball programs and coaches and players alike. Um, you specifically, kind of in the Midwest, Indiana, Michigan area, but can you talk a little bit about some of your roles that you do with them, um, and why why do you feel like that's kind of an essential role in college basketball today? Well, I think that, you know, Billy Graham said it best. He said a coach makes more impact on people's lives in one year than most people in a lifetime. That's a, that's a really a true statement. You know, you think about 
even uh, if you're not coaching as a teacher, all of us have had an impact. Some teacher made an impact on us along the way. And I think that now we have the responsibility because Grant, Billy Graham went on and said, but who is supporting and lifting up the coaches? Who is really there for the coaches? And so, you know, after being a coach for, you know, 39 years, I felt like it was responsibility to, to kind of retrack and go back and try to help, especially many of our young coaches that are just getting started in this business because the collateral damage in the profession of coaching is just incredible. Uh, families are falling apart uh, in the coaching uh, profession more than any other profession probably in this country when you have 15% uh, more higher divorce rate among coaches because they're moving, they're constantly striving to get other jobs. And so for me, it's been just a great ride for me to be able to be around and help support coaches. And it just might be a phone call. It might be a text. It might be a breakfast. It might be setting in on practice. It might be evaluating their program just for me to be able to be around coaches and their players and just try to navigate this crazy thing called coaching because it is a crazy profession. And so it's very important that uh, they need people. Uh, coaches, for the most part, feel very, very alone. And Andrew, you you know you know exactly what we're talking. Sometimes you just feel like there's nobody out there. I'm, I'm dealing with these issues as a family, as a husband, as a coach. And there's nobody there to help me. So this is a vital part of what I do in the ministry, that we need to support our coaches or they will be a statistic like everyone else. Yeah, and that is so true. And like like you said, I think, you know, we talked about Mike working for Nation of Coaches. And it is, it's a lonely feeling when you lose a job or it's a lonely feeling when things aren't going in your career like they are. And I've gone through that just like so many coaches listening yep. and and out there and, and having people who are willing to to stand by you and walk with you and, and lift you up is so huge. And obviously Mike has been one of those guys for me. Um, do you do you see kind of as you're, you know, not just uh, coaches dealing with difficult situations, but as you kind of had, had the opportunity to mentor younger coaches and, yes. you know, they're kind of, you know, just trying to figure out how to do life. What, yes. what are some things that you're that you're seeing and what kind of advice are you giving these guys? Well, I think that one of the things that I try to teach young coaches is they got to be themselves, not somebody else. I think the a trap that young coaches get caught up in, they see success at a clinic or they watch somebody on TV and they say, wow, I want to be like that person. And that's not a good route to go. I think you, you can take things from every coach at every clinic you you're involved in, but you still have to be yourself because if you're not yourself, then you, you get caught up in a trap of not ever really knowing who you are. And if that's the case, then you come across fake or phony and uh, people around you can smell fake or phony. Let me tell you the generation of players that we have right now can understand and find a fake or phony right away. And so I really try to tell coaches, you got to be who you are. You got to be committed to your values, your beliefs, your strengths, your weaknesses. And then I also really try to encourage all of our coaches out there to be lifelong learners. 
uh, a mistake that some coaches make. It, it doesn't happen all the time, but I've seen it where a coach arrives, he gets to where he wants to be, and he doesn't want to really strive to get better. And either you're getting better or worse in this life. I read a statement the other day that once you graduate from college, you have five years and then you're going to have to relearn. Uh, hmm. And I, the same thing happens in coaching. And so I have a, probably the best story to illustrate that, that really impacted my coaching for my entire life was my very first year of coaching. Here I thought I played for a great man, Homer Drew. Here I thought I was uh, probably smarter than the average Joe. And uh, after one year of coaching, I like shook my head and thought, I got to find another profession. <laughs> I, I am not connecting with these players. Uh, I don't know anything. Uh, I'm losing games. Uh, this is not fun. And so uh, someone suggested I go to a clinic. I didn't even know what a clinic was, Andrew. I didn't know. What, I was so naive at a clinic. Yeah, I thought you were going to the, to the doctor. Yeah, huh? I thought going I was going to get clinic. a shot. You know, I, thought, <laughs> I did get a shot. I went up to Chicago, Illinois, and, and went to one of those spring clinics that they always had back in those days. And I walked into this huge ballroom, and there was actually no seats available. And so... I sat back in the hallway, but I could see, and it's like yesterday, I can still visualize this. Uh, Hubie Brown, the NBA announcer that many of you may still know, Hubie Brown was up speaking to all these coaches. And I sat down on my rear end and leaned against the wall and kind of looked around, and everybody else had the, the notebook that they gave us at registration. And so I started doing what everybody else did, writing down what everything Hubie Brown now. I'm not a scholar, and I'm not really a, a person who knows too much about Hubie Brown. He was successful, had a lot of influence, but I don't remember him ever winning very much, at least uh, world championships or national championships. But the guy that I really kind of tried to model my life as a coach was a guy named John Wooden. John Wooden coached in South Bend, Indiana, where I'm from. Uh, John Wooden had a lot of success. And while I was sitting there, I just had this feeling that, wow, there's somebody important real close to me. And I looked to my right, and sitting right beside me was John Wood, hmm. the John Wood. And I, I was just like, wow, here's my lifetime coaching idol, Purdue grad, Indiana guy, and here he is sitting right beside me. But the thing that, Andrew, that impacted my life was that John Wooden was taking meticulous notes on everything that Hubie Brown was saying. John Wooden, who won 10 national championships, was constantly trying to learn from Hubie Brown. And then the probably the statement that impacted me more than anything else was the year on the calendar was 1979, and John Wooden was retired. He had been retired from coaching, but he still wanted to be a lifelong learner. I think that is the thing that I try to teach and show coaches at all levels, but especially the younger coaches. You've got to continue to reinvent yourself. You've got to continue to learn, continue to get new ideas, how to handle situations. And when you do that, then you will have success. But more importantly, you'll have significance. You'll have a significant impact on the game of basketball and those guys that you coach. Yeah, one thing too for for 
that I think as you were telling that story, that's just kind of going through my mind is, you know, you obviously found out that you needed to, to learn and be a lifelong learner. And man, this, this guy, John Wooden, man, he's taking notes and Hey, I want to yeah. be like him. And, and you saw that. But one thing I think when I was, when I coached at Bethel, you had, was it like 47 former players who were coaching yeah. high school basketball in the state of Indiana? Yes. And so as you coach for, you know, along your tenure at Bethel, so many of your players wanted to coach. And I think that is such a, a testament, not only to you, but just the, the program you ran and, and you obviously uh, impacted these guys in a great way. So why, you know, why do you think, or how, I guess, how did you run your program and why do you think so many of these guys wanted to be coaches? What did they take from their experience that made them want to do that? I, you know, I really don't know that the true answer than that. I think that, uh, they, uh, they all came from very, very successful high school careers. I think that had a lot to do with it. They, they grew up in Indiana, which, uh, you know, basketball is real, real important. And I think they've also seen that a high school coach in a community in Indiana or any, really any place in this country, they have influence. They have an opportunity to make a difference in their families, in their communities, in the people that they work with. And I think really the, the uh, message that Bethel gave to uh, our players and people on our staff really just poured into their lives in such a way that they left saying, I can make a difference. I can make an impact. I can do something that I love to do. I don't want to work for a living. I want to just give back and coaching is a great way to do that. So, and, and I, I honestly think that if you have success is what you do, you want to model that. And so uh, I think we had a lot of players that did have success as players at the college level and wanted to continue to just do what they do and do it well. Uh, and so uh, I was blessed with a lot of smart basketball players who went on and, and coached now in the high school and college level. So that just made me look a lot better than I am. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously, as coaches, we know that we need players talented, smart in order to win. But you sustain success for, you know, 30 plus years at Bethel. Um, outside of your players, and you can talk a little bit about the culture and the relationships with people, but outside of like talent, why do you think you were able to accomplish the, the amount of success that you did? Well, we went into it with a philosophy that, first of all, my wife and I were going to do it as a team, that we weren't going to do it you know, as uh, silos, one going one way and one going the other. I think one of the things we did was try to incorporate in our culture a, a family atmosphere, and I think everybody's striving to do that. But the reality is that when you work elbow to elbow and shoulder to shoulder as a husband and wife, um, those players will see that and it will impact them. And uh, many times my players would go to my wife and say, hey, I'm struggling with this or what can I do? And there was many times my wife would say, you know, I think there's something going on with a player right now off the court that you need to find out what's going on. So I think that many times that communication, that teamwork really helped us navigate and continue to have success. But I think that one of the things that we really strive to do in our program was not make excuses, play as hard as we possibly can, and play for an audience of one. 
I think that if the priorities are, when you're playing for something bigger than yourself, you're playing for God, you're playing for your teammates, those things really kind of fall in line. And there's a different priority because you're not just playing for wins, you're playing for other things. Wins take care of themselves. When your program is, is set in stone and taking care of the details, the players are bought in, they're having fun, they're working extremely hard, and you're doing it for something more than just yourself. You've got to have a why you do what you do. And the players today need to know why that they are playing, why they're out there uh, busting their tail every day in practice. If they don't know their why, then they're not ever going to reach their 100% ability level. So we always talked about why you do what you do and make sure that they knew that they had a purpose and a plan and there's going to be things after basketball that's going to make a bigger impact on their lives. So, um, and then finally, we had really good players and they worked really, really hard and they overcame things and I stretched them and pushed them not just to be better basketball players, but now 30 years later, they're, they're successful in their lives, their families, their churches, their communities. That's winning. That's winning. I think Joe Paterno said years ago, show me how successful my class will be in four or five years. I can tell you my recruiting class. I look at it a little bit different, Andrew. I look at it says, show me 20 years from now and see what my guys are doing in their lives and impacting other people. So I think that's something that young coaches need to continue to stay focused on because if you just get focused in on the W, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. If you started coaching again, so you, you've kind of been out for three yep. years, right, going on. Uh, if you started coaching again, what would be your first priority? Would you change anything that maybe you did 30-plus years ago, or what would be the first thing that you made a priority with your staff and team? Wow, there's been a lot of things I think I've learned just by watching other coaches uh, here, you know, as I travel around the country, and especially in the Midwest, I've learned a great deal on what, what you can do. I think the key thing with any coach and any program from the assistant to the head coach, you got to be focused on being honest. Uh, I think today's generation needs to be told the truth where they stand as an individual, as a player on their team. And you, you don't sugarcoat it. I think that uh, players appreciate saying, hey, here's where you are, here's what you need to work on, and here's the things you need to do. I think as, an, as a head coach, I think it's very important that the assistant coaches know exactly where they're at, exactly know what their role is, and know exactly what they're doing. I think many times a head coach is plowing snow He's ahead of everybody else, and the assistant coach are still trying to pick up the pieces and trying to figure out what their job is. It's the head coach's responsibility to make sure that he's mentoring and investing and teaching and coaching the coaches. And so I think that's something I have seen and I've learned uh, as I've watched coaches coach, very, very, very successful coaches coach. Um, and then the finally thing, I, I think that uh, – Coaches need to make sure that they have enthusiasm and they're building confidence in their teams. No one's going to be successful if they lack confidence. 
And so we have a fragile young group of people in this culture today. We have to build confidence in them both on and off the floor. We have to invest more time with them off the court than on the court. They have skill sets and they'll be okay there. But if they're not okay between the ears and in the heart, then they're not going to be a, the basketball player that you brought into their school. So those are things I think I would focus in on um, if I were a coach today. Yeah, I love that. And it's always so fun to just pick your brain because you've been, you know, you've seen so many things in college basketball and in the game itself. And I love just hearing your perspective on on everything and obviously being out of the game for three years, sitting and watching other people. You're also, like you said, you're a learner and you've gotten to do, you know, from the broadcasting side of things, from the spectator mm -hmm. side of things, from the coaching side of things. And that, and I think viewing the game from all three or more of those levels, it does, it changes how you see different stuff. And um, I appreciate you always weighing in on, on that perspective. Um, Finally, kind of before we go, I was wondering, you know, a lot of people see you as a really good coach and they know they know you as a, you know, a small college basketball Hall of Famer, NAI Hall of Famer, winning national championships. But a lot of people don't know you're just a funny guy and you're a fun guy to be around. I yeah. was wondering if you had any any good stories or memories that you. You know, I kind of put you on the spot here. I apologize. No, that's all right. But if uh, you had any any good story or memory from your, your coaching career or anything that just kind of sticks out that you'd like to share. <laughs> There's been so many. I think one of the things that coaches uh, struggle with at times because we're type A. Um, very, very rarely do you find a laid back coach. Uh, we're type <laughs> A. We're driven. We have those things. But I think very important in and as as I wanted my players to work extremely hard, but I also wanted them to laugh and have fun. And I think you can do both. I think you can work extremely hard and laugh and have fun. And so one of the things that I intentionally did and many times unintentionally did <laughs> was my, while my players will laugh at me. And so for me to come to practice with a, an Adidas shoe and a Nike shoe on or two different kinds of socks or pants and shirts that didn't match. And I did that intentionally, especially if we were going through any type of a hard time just to allow the players to deflect the pressure off themselves. I think, man, I'm not getting it done, Coach. Yeah, and they can look at me and say, what, what is this guy doing? Uh, so I think that that's very important. And then the other thing, Andrew, I really strongly believe in, and I've tried to influence coaches, it's so important that you spend time physically touching your players. You might sound, that's weird. Boy, you're a weird guy. You know, I think that in many times our culture today, when we have 80% of our, our young men who don't have a father in the home, they need a physical touch. They need a hug, even though they may think I'm a man and I don't need a hug. They need a hug. They need a touch. And so before every practice, I would make sure that I would try to at least touch every guy with a pat on the shoulder or even a hug just so – they knew that I cared about them, I loved them, and I was going to invest in them uh, before. And it wasn't based on if they could shoot a basketball or not. But yeah, having so good. fun. Having fun. you got to have fun. If you're not having fun doing what you're doing, I've seen so many programs I've been at when I walk in, you can just tell the players, like, oh, here we go another day. You know, they can come in with a mentality, I'm going to work as hard as I can. 
I'm going to get in and out of here, but at the same time, we're going to laugh and have fun as we play. And uh, as I reflect back over the 30 years, and now I've been Zooming with all my former players, <laughs> they remember the fun stuff. Those are the things that, are, are that they remember, the goofy things that went on in the hotel or in the bus or before practice or after practice. They didn't talk about national championships. They talked about the fun things that we did in our program. Yeah, no doubt. Those things are so important. And thank you so much for being a great example of that, you know, to myself and so many other guys. But, Coach, thank you for taking time. I'll always love talking with you. And yes. I look forward to next time. All right. Thank you, Coach. I really appreciate it.